This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am Matt, joined by Pastor Michael as always. Tonight, I am keeping the IPA in YRR, so that's one of the benefits of recording at night. Pastor Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. I have no beverage with me, so uh, I didn't think to bring one with me into my basement. Uh, it is, it's too late for me. We're recording way later than I want to. <laughs> that's right. Well, I will continue to carry the torch that is, that is needed, thanks to the local Wisconsin brewery. But Pastor Michael, we are recording tonight for a very winsome reason, this winsome winter. That's right. Yeah, it is. It's winsome winter, and winsome winter is all about reaching out to everybody. We're very ecumenical on the Restless Podcast, and so we thought we would have uh, Reformed Baptists on. That's right. If you folks remember from our last episode, we commented on how interesting it was in the Mars Hill episode that Mars Hill's early polity was the common Reformed Baptist polity. And we thought to ourselves, you know what? We are big hearted, generous Presbyterians, and it's time to let the Reformed Baptists vindicate themselves if they would like to. And so we are happy. We have a listener, friend of the show. We have Landon Jones joining us. Landon, welcome to Restless. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Tell our show, our little show, our little upstart show, uh, whatever you want them to know about yourself. Are there, uh, do you want them to look you up anywhere or any websites? Well, I don't really have a website right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a MTS student studying at Mid-America Reform Seminary in Dyer, Indiana. Uh, I just started uh, in August, and so I'm going to complete a degree there, and hopefully I'm aspiring to be a missionary somewhere in Western Europe. Uh, so that's pretty much what's going down right now. That's great. Well, we obviously, it's a great seminary there, and we certainly commend that desire. But Landon, tonight you are here to help us understand Reformed Baptist polity, uh, which in, a, in that way, if you are ever a missionary, you will be stuck explaining for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so the, the first thing I want to ask you before we before we get into this is tell our, our listeners who have probably heard about a lot of Reformed Baptists or a lot of things called Reformed Baptists. Why do people who seem particularly Reformed Baptists call themselves particular Baptists instead? Oh, wow. So particular Baptist is an old term. So the modern term Reformed Baptist really just refers to Baptists, Baptists who are also Reformed. And it came from really a Westminster seminary. I believe it's in Philadelphia when it started to take a lot of use uh, in like the 50s onward. But the historic term really comes back all the way to the 1600s, where uh the nonconformists from the Anglican tradition, uh, part of them separated and became uh, the Presbyterians. And so they, be, they uh, had the Westminster Assembly, uh, they created the Westminster Standards that way. But the other part was the particular Baptists who developed really around the same time. So there's two movement that were, movements that were going on and there was a lot of persecution with these uh, particular Baptists within England. So even our first confession uh, expresses this where it says, who are, 
uh, in the title, it says that we are not Anabaptists. <laughs> because Please stop all, hitting us. We're yeah. not Anabaptists. <laughs> I, I remember like, uh, reading about Zwingli and how he uh, said, if you want a second baptism, then I'll give it to you. And he started drowning the right. Anabaptists. I'll give you a third, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we're not Anabaptists in that way. We're not any any sort of connection to Anabaptists. Uh, some people may say that we are, but I just don't really see a connection there. It, it was a separate movement, just similar names, similar conclusions as well. Uh, but it comes from a different starting point within the covenant theology, within the hermeneutics, than Anabaptists do. So there is a separation there, um, but... The particular Baptist really started off small group of people that came out of the Anglican tradition, uh, wanted to unite together under a common confession, common belief based on what they saw in scripture. Uh, so it's very similar, actually very, very similar to Presbyterians, because even our main confession that many of them hold to, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, uh, is almost a copy of the Westminster <laughs> Confession of Faith. Uh, there's two articles in there, one on baptism, one on church, uh, that is more strongly different. And then there's a couple of points here and there that are a little bit different, especially in like, I'm thinking of 1-6, uh, so chapter 1, uh, section 6, where we talk a little bit about differences in hermeneutics. So those are a little bit of differences between them, but that is really a basics on the his, history of Reformed Baptist churches. And you'll see some in uh, England now, like the, the, ma the main one is uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon uh, sat for a while and preached. Um, and now it's led by Peter Matthews. Uh, you see them all throughout England. You can actually see a lot of them throughout the world, uh, just small churches here and there. It's a small movement, and it's a small one that is continuing in America. It's gotten a lot of, uh, it was suppressed a bit. <laughs> so it came in in America really strong. Um, they even created their own version of it with the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, uh, which is basically, we're going to take the 1689 and give it a new name, <laughs> make right. it American. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, so. It came in strong. Uh, it started off with the Southern Baptist Convention, actually, um, but then slowly dispensationalism took over in America for like a hundred years, and now it's starting to return a bit. Especially mm -hmm. like the dark. We call it the Dark Ages here. I don't <laughs> yeah, the, that's the Dark Ages. <laughs> we're, you see, we're looking back at Rome. We're just getting, no. It's winsome winter. It's not the Dark Ages. No, I was, was just kidding. It's just we, a uh, just a not we love our dispensationalist joke. friends. So. We, yeah. uh, we recommend they read Rob's book on maybe why they That's shouldn't right. stay that way. John <laughs> MacArthur is our homeboy. We, That's uh, right. We, we love him. Yeah. And I, so I, I'll just say, whenever I hear someone self uh, call themselves a particular Baptist, I assume they actually know what they're talking about in Reformed Baptist history <laughs> and that they don't care that no one will have any idea what they're talking about <laughs> in modern churches. And so, no, I, I think it's a... I, do for that reason think it's helpful um to give uh ourselves one more plug because that's something we need uh, in the deacon of god you can find the london baptist confessions section on the civil magistrate 
which is one of the Woo! other areas of difference. <laughs> um, and so yeah. we here at Restless, we purposely define Reformed as a way that allows confessional 1689 Baptists to belong. So we Thank are, you. like we said, we are lovers. We are not fighters. But tonight we have something else very important to do, very near and dear to the heart of all YRR people. We are going to share the five points of something. Um, so yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a series we're going to start this year where we just want some people of different traditions, uh, e.g. perhaps Anglicanism before everyone converts to that. Um, <laughs> we, we're going to give people a chance to tell us, you know, five things, just, uh, just kind of an intro to what they should know about some different theological perspectives, perhaps ones that Michael and I don't share, or there are people, which would probably be most of them at this point, that could represent better than we could. And so in light of uh, Christianity Today and Mars Hill's statement about what Reformed Baptist polity looked like in our reaction to that episode, we discussed the general problems with it and the ways it was not Presbyterian. And so I think I would like our many Baptist listeners who might be in these so-called elder-led churches or Moses model churches to hear what the more historic consensus among Baptists, nonconformists, particular Baptists would have been. And so we're so thankful Landon is willing to hang out with us for a little bit and share us with these things. We will uh, let you tell us one through five. We'll ask some questions along the way, and then we'll let you react to the clip where they, uh, where they told us maybe what was misinformation. But I guess we'll find out. So Landon, tell us, what is, give us number one, what is number one on your list of something I should know about Reformed Baptist polity? Yeah, so the first one is congregationalism. It's really the, the big framework of what the church government is like within the Reformed Baptist polity. Um, so Baptists are really first congregationalists. We are meant to be governed locally instead of like Presbyterians. You have your Presbyterian, then your General Assembly. So you have a hierarchy structure, while the Reformed Baptists, we really are governed a lot of local so a lot of big decisions that we make that could take place in a general assembly or a presbytery, they're actually taking place at a local church or even um, some doctrinal issues, that kind of stuff will maybe even take place in an association. So mm -hmm. if you're Dutch Reformed out there, um, they have their classes and then their synod. Uh, that kind of acts as like uh, a presbytery as well. But uh you know, it's kind of also like an association or federation, right. that kind of way. So it's kind of a, it's really interesting how you can see the differences between those. But, um, so, you know, it just depends on what the issue is, but also mm -hmm. most things, if not all, will take place within the local church. Can you give us an example of things that are, that might either be very distinct mm -hmm. or perhaps surprising to someone who who is not familiar with full-throated congregationalism, like the powers that um, the, con the congregation has? Yeah, so uh, one thing that is interesting is that like in Presbyterianism, the, uh, the teaching elder, so the one that is the main pastor, the one that's getting paid, is ordained by the Presbytery. Uh, right. It's ordained by the denomination itself. Now for the Reformed Baptists, it's interesting because our ordination process is really by the elders of your local church. Mm -hmm. So the elders um, appoint other elders in our congregation. Um, 
So we find leaders within our congregation, and then we train up those leaders, and then we submit them as like, we vote on them as an elder board, and then we're like, okay, let's bring these people towards the church body to, so that they can be voted on by the church body. Um, so the church body really gets to know these elders um, really well, even before they enter the pulpit. Uh, because even, you know, we, I know especially a lot of pastors like to uh, have elders that have been raised in the church, have been growing up in the church. Um, I especially like that. I know my pastor especially wants that to be a successor. So that kind of, of thing is really, it's very unique to congregationalism in general. Um, but there's some, there's good congregationalism and then there's bad congregationalism. So there's the kind that you'll find in, I'll be controversial, the SPC, uh, where you have. Uh-oh, look out, everybody. <laughs> SBC um, listeners, we'll have one of you on too. We're yeah. trying. <laughs> well, I'm in an SBC church. Right. It's uh -oh. just like, uh oh, look at <laughs> church. Um, it's just it depends on the church because some of them will have really odd models where it'll be only one pastor and he'll be like leading the whole thing. Hmm. Um, and then you'll have ones that have a very biblical model, like uh, ones that really hold to the nine marks of a healthy church by Mark mm -hmm. Dever. Um, you know, he really advocates for elder plurality, um, in which we'll get into later. But so, th that's one of the things. Mm -hmm. So tell me, let me test this one more time. So I'm, I'm coming under discipline and I want to appeal this out. Mm -hmm. Does it, does my appeal ever come to be vote? Do I have to, does my discipline case, is it ever voted on by, let's say all the members of my local church? Because as you probably know, in Presbyterianism, mm -hmm. I would be, uh, the discipline case would be heard by the elders exclusively, and they have the full authority and right to judge a case as the representative government of the church. Yeah, so for church discipline, it's very important in Reformed Baptist churches. You won't find this really in some other congregational churches, nope. uh, but uh, church discipline will really take place like in a Matthew 18 model where uh, you'll come to the, the elders and you'll present your case. Um, and then the elders will discuss it, ask for repentance, that kind of stuff. Uh, it'll eventually, depending on the case, it could go towards the members. Um, like for if it goes far enough to excommunication, um, it, then that could go towards the members where the members vote them out of the church but the the members well definitely during members meetings they will um, ask to pray for certain individuals who have fallen into sin um that sort of thing uh and that is really just it's not to gossip within there because we have full trust and we want to love each other in the church we want to care for each other and we know that brothers and sisters fall into sin all the time and we hope for restoration yeah i I don't, obviously, I don't know what five things he's going to share with us, folks, but I wanted to make sure we, um, I think the interpretation of Matthew 18 is probably, if you're going to talk to the Presbyterian minister, Michael and Landon here, that is probably under the understanding of that passage, right, would probably be a very, uh, one of the, one of the key areas of disagreement, actually. Mm -hmm. So let's do number two. I'll let Pastor Michael ask questions on this one if he's got them. So tell us number two. 
Yeah, so number two would be associationism. Uh, contra contrary to a lot of belief, Baptists are historically and should be strong on associationism. Uh, so they shouldn't be just lone wolves, wolves out in the on the desert. You know, they they have to be with each other. They have to band with each other. I mean, we're stronger together, and um, part that's partially why we have even a confession to begin with is because we want to unite with people with the same faith, with the same beliefs, that sort of thing. So, yeah, really, um, it, it serves as like sort of when we're stronger together, we're able to advance the kingdom. So we're able to associate that um, with each other, work towards that goal. Um, some common uh, bigger, well, bigger, we're not really big, <laughs> but associations out there would be the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. So they even have a seminary, um, International Reformed Baptist Theological Seminary in Texas. Uh, so that one has about uh, 10 or 12 around that members of it. So associationism is coming back into style. Uh, for a while, it was like, well, we're a Reformed Baptist church and we don't really have anyone else around us, but yeah. it's coming back. One, um, especially in the Midwest where I'm at, um, I'm in South Chicago area, but the uh, the Midwest one would be Marbach is what they call it. It's the uh, Mid-America Reformed Baptist Association of Churches. And they hold, they host a Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary with like Sam Waldron, you know him. Mm -hmm. um, see, yeah, Tom Nettles goes there as well. So those are some big names within it, but they're all in Texas. So there's like three churches out in there. Uh, and that's it. So they're just starting. Uh, associations are starting up. They're starting to take a little bit um, more stride. So that's one thing that I think is very important. And do you think do you think it would help the association if it had an easier name? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> we need a, a trendier name like uh, Acts 30. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> here here's me. You know, I, I go to a reform seminary. Um I, this, this is the one where I'm, I'll say I'm a bit mystified. So other than these pragmatic things, right? The SBC, we are together for the sake of missions. Yeah. Why, why is, why associations, why yeah. associations based on the, the understanding of the church? Um, yeah. Like, so associating with each other, we know that the church never really, um, we're never lone wolves to begin with, and we're always there together. And we're, we've actually, we've learned a lot from other churches that have associated and are doing well. Um, it's helpful for church planting. It's helpful for missions. Those are great things. It's also helpful for keeping each other in check um, to make sure that we're doctrinally well, um, to make sure that we are behaving as churches of Christ. So we're not going off and becoming a cult none of that sure. so it, it's helpful in those ways and that's why we associate so it's helpful because it's kind of like a presbytery a little bit no yeah it's got that influence <laughs> but, but not but governance <laughs> governance goes all the way back to the local church so sure. that's so what maybe this is the right place <laughs> to ask this um obviously every um Every true church, which we certainly believe you are a part of, um, every true church has to answer how the church is Catholic, right? The Presbytery answers it 
through our through the formal connections of the church, right? That the church that hypothetically in Pastor Michael's utopia, every church could be part of the general assembly, right? They could all join in. Um, um, how, what would your, what would the understanding of what it means that the church is Catholic, that the church is uni universal, right? Obviously we all have rejected that the church is universal because it submits to the Pope in Rome, right? We've yeah. all rejected that, right? Yeah, We've rejected down with the Pope. Exactly. We, we, you know, even the, the confessions, they talk about how uh, the Pope is the Antichrist. So we're united right. on that way. <laughs> yeah. So, so our, so my question then in, and maybe the answer is this kind of, because I, I just want, that's my question. Um, and that is probably not the most interesting for the listener, but it's interesting <laughs> for me. And so they're always at my mercy. What, what is, what is your understanding of, well, really quick, what's Catholic. what's your thought about the board debates? <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah, what? How would you ex give us? Yeah, give us the. I don't if, if and if there maybe there isn't a short answer, but it, what would the what? How would you explain the church as the Catholic as the obviously not Roman Catholic, but the Catholic Church as we confess? Yeah. So the Catholic. Catholic Church, as we confess, is really one that holds to orthodoxy. It holds to what Christ has said to his churches plainly, um, what these doc these key doctrines that we hold inside the ecumenical creeds. So the creeds that, you know, um, uh, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, um, all these kind of creeds are super important because it keeps us united as a one church. Um, and so that's really where we can we can draw, like, Hey, I could be in communion with this brother, even though we disagree, because I know that he holds to the true faith. Um, it's really hard to do that when you're a heretic. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's what really my understanding of the, the Catholic Church. If I had my confession up with me, they actually say in, uh, in chapter 26, um, I believe it's the same as the Westminster uh, in that area. Uh, where it talks about the Catholic Church and what where we united at, with other churches, even the Methodists, the Lutherans, well, sure. not the ECLA. The Catholicity is on a individual congregation, individual believer level of if you hold to the true faith, this is the the expression of the Catholicity of the faith. It's yeah. a doctrine, mm -hmm. doctrinal. Right. Pastor Michael, let's should we move on to number three? do it hit us with it right yeah is it, so. is it something about tattoos isn't that i don't know i just feel like Reformed uh, baptists always have tattoos <laughs> oh yeah of course um you could probably get a tattoo of this it's the plurality of the elders <laughs> okay tell us yeah. what that... how do you tattoo that one out i don't, I don't know. know you have to figure it out you can uh you can ask your tattoo artist and you'll come yeah. up with something <laughs> all right so tell us what that means this good nine marks uh yeah. answer means yeah, so our churches are led by an elder board appointed uh, by, you know, other elders, voted on by the church body. Um, each elder has, like, equal power on the elder board, so there is no hierarchy within the elder board. So while we don't say that an elder has a teaching elder and a lay elder, we say they're elders, but it ends up becoming, looking like a teaching elder and a lay elder because one of them is paid. Uh, but, so there's but, different they have they have different roles in a sense or maybe like they you know they mm -hmm. they act in some different ways but as far as the authority goes 
there's no hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, our confession says in 16.8, a local church gathered and fully organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. The officers are appointed by Christ as overseers or elders and deacons. So these overseers uh, and, or elders and deacons are the offices that we have in the church, equal power, um, but they, they work in the church and they lead the church well throughout that. And so the, we need these extra elders to keep the elders in check. So one thing like we'll find in Mars Hill is, well, did they keep Mark Driscoll in check? <laughs> right. They um, disciplined Mark Driscoll when he needed to. I mean, that's one thing that's part of a 689 Reformed Baptist Church uh, is that you know that pastor's sin and you need to keep each other in check in that way. Um, so, so is the power of the people then primarily in um, electing these elders or is it is it beyond that? Obviously, it's in discipline, right? We've already mentioned a few. Is that when we talk yeah. about that, would you say that that is one of the other main places that the people exercise their rights as members would be as yeah. choosing so, their elders. So as members, um, the elders um, will bring elders to the body of the members and then the members vote those elders in. Uh, and yeah, it's, what's interesting is that we really, I think it really shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to hire this guy to lead my church from the outside uh it's like we're trying to get people to our, our elders are really are from the body and they're part of the body they're not just working for the body um yeah. so we don't we don't want just like oh we're going to hire a family and discipleship pastor because he makes uh because it's just a job and we, it needs to be filled we want someone to actually be an elder and teach and lead this church well um, and that could be, uh, it could still look like that, like you could have roles in that way and they could be paid, but it's really from the body and they're still with the body. And so they're still members of that church. Mm -hmm. it, it's, I'll just note um, in the election of ruling elders, that would be very similar to how it would be done in a, in a Presbyterian church, yep. examined, taught by the elders and elected by the people. Pastor Michael, did you have any questions or comments on number three because i think that yeah. would probably be an area of of larger agreement certainly but yeah i think so i'm i'm intrigued especially just because this morning um and this will be last week i guess depending on when this episode comes out last week for everybody listening this morning <laughs> for matt and i um we were talking about uh ecclesiology and polity issues uh, having to do with the rise and fall of mars hill and and some things that that uh come out with uh that um, but I'm just wondering, what it, what does it look like? Um, I mean, say the church is in a position where you have, uh, say, a majority of elders are kind of steering the church in a direction that the, you know, the congregation, many of the congregation or some of the other elders are not uh, fans of. What does that look like to try to remedy? Is it purely like there has to be some kind of split or or where where do I, I i'm just interested to know kind of practically how does that work out so he's yeah he, he's testing your polity with extreme cases right obviously yeah, yeah, right. we would pray yeah. no church has elder versus I don't, right. the members i don't want that <laughs> but i'm not praying that for you I don't but, real, <laughs> but realistically of course these things do happen um, yeah fortunately mm -hmm. mostly not as spectacularly as 
Mars Hill, but yes. Um, and, and they had a different polity and different issues, but that is a this good is question. Winsome winter. So we do not currently pray uh, imprecatory <laughs> prayers on our Baptist brothers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, that is a really um, difficult question because, well, I haven't experienced it. I don't know reformed Baptist churches, well, true ones that have, um, but it could happen. And so we need to be careful of that. So first of all, um, first the, uh, the elder board itself, if they are acting out of line um, as a whole, which could happen um, because we're all sinners, but uh, if they're acting in unison in that way, uh, the members can kick them out and elect new elders. Um, that essentially could happen, and the members would unite to do that if they see that their elders are out of check, if they're not following by what their job description is laid out in the Bible. Um, and um, so, and I assume each, the local churches would have a bylaw, their bylaws written to explain to the members how they would, how you know, would be able place. to, how they would, what congregational meeting yeah, and what, exactly. you know, those different things that would need. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so we would do that. Um, that would happen. Uh, they would be out if there's still like no hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, which would be really sad. Uh, the members that, like, if, the, if like, the members still keep the elders in place, um, then it's really the responsibility of, like, those that see the, the problem to get out <laughs> or or they can even stay. It just really depends on, it's a, it's a conscience issue where yeah. um, members can stay to try to work things out and try to save the church or they may have to leave and start a new one. Um, they're, yeah, it's a really difficult problem because, well, I haven't been in that situation. Um, yeah. So it would take a lot of wisdom, a lot of thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear number four. Yeah, so next one is a regenerate church membership. Okay, <laughs> well, here we go. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. Pastor Michael man, is looking up verses looks right on the now. The outward appearance, the Baptists look at the heart. <laughs> just, just to to reaffirm my cred, my three month old daughter was just baptized a, a, a day ago. So it's true. I just uh, uh, baptized my daughter, and he performed it. So, we, so we're really gonna we're we're ready. Here we go. Um, all right, tell us tell us about it. Tell, explain us this this. As as they told Paul at Marsil, bring us this interesting uh, <laughs> speaking. Come speak to us on this. You know, I knew this would be this would be great. Um, so first of all, uh, we hope as Reformed Baptists to have confidence that the members of our church are regenerate, uh, based on seeing their fruit and their profession of faith at baptism. Um, so we hope that all of our members that we can have assurance that these are Christ's people, that these are the people within his covenant of grace. And so that's part of why we agree that we believe that um, in believer's baptism or credo baptism, if you want to get Latin, uh, but our confession really says, says it better where uh, in chapter 26.6, uh, the members of these church are saints by calling, visibly displaying and demonstrating in and by their profession in life and obedience to the call of Christ. 
And also our confession says later in point 12, all believers are obligated to join themselves to local particular choices when and where they are, there is an opportunity. Likewise, all are admitted to the privileges of a church are also subject to discipline and government of it according to the will of Christ. So we just want our membership to be regenerate. If we don't believe that they're regenerate, well, they may hold to heresy and never repent, or they may be in sin and never repent, they're out. Um, Essentially, we will call for them to be restored. The point of excommunication is not to just banish them and uh, send them on their way, but it's for restoration. Um, But ultimately, that's part of our our polity is that our membership, uh, we want them to be professing believers. So that's how we I want to say two things and then a, a half agreement, and then we'll let uh, I'll let Pastor Michael tee off. I'm going to be winsome to start. One, this is why we're having someone else come and give us these five points. I obviously have studied some polity things. I am so probably sheltered by Pastor Michael in the Presbyterian <laughs> bunker he has built that I now. Is I know. Live in, you? I well, literally would have just come to our Presbyterian bunker where we hold out for the utopia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after that, after the Baptists ruin everything, we will emerge. That, that, <laughs> that I forgot. That I forgot this was a thing. I just it's so bad. I what? forgot this was that this was like. Oh yeah, there are people who think this. I forgot you that. forgot. It, that yeah, the main uh, thing that called I know. Called Baptists is then, that we baptize believers yeah, only. And so. <laughs> I just, if I were like, what are the five things everyone needs to know? This is Why certainly is that winsome. Why? <laughs> but two, let me, well, here's the winsome thing is that what is what the part of this we can agree on, which is different than um, a lot of church bodies, even Protestant bodies that we would affirm as believers is you could become a member at the church where Michael's a pastor. And I assume I could become a member there. Now, obviously I would not be open to a teaching office because I hold doctrines that are, um, not, you know, that are considered an error that they wouldn't want taught. But if the elders believed, as I hope they would, and we would certainly have reason to believe you would, if we believed you're a regenerate believer, you'd be open to membership because we, we must open the doors of the church, especially the table, the Lord's table to those who are in communion with Christ, even if there are issues that would just say, because of this, you wouldn't qualify to be an elder here or teach here. And, and that's okay. Right. And so I I think that is an area where there is some important agreement that um, there are, right. There are certain Lutheran denominations. There are other um, denominations. Obviously there are hardcore fundamentalist denominations of all stripes that don't practice this kind of um, this kind of open door, but, Uh, but uh, just to be clear, but you would not, I mean, you wouldn't receive a member who's been baptized as an infant, correct. Even though they show signs of being regenerate uh your church would not you know allow them to be a member if they weren't baptized as an adult correct or or upon profession you know maybe not adult but once they're older yeah so how we see it is and this could have been some yay uh but what we how we would see it is that was that a proper baptism and was it properly administered right exactly yeah right exactly um, and so we wouldn't question their them being regenerate we would question their mm-hmm. salvation that way. We would just ask for them before they get members, uh, become a member that they would be baptized again. And yep. that's, that's not saying, oh, that's a second baptism. Right. 
that we would say, well, that's the first baptism. Right. Because, so we would agree on the Nicene Creed where it says one baptism. One, yeah. Listeners, um, so, I, I'm winking, just so you know, as he says, it's not a second one. I, I understand. <laughs> I, I, actually, I think that that's, I can't yeah, wink, wink. Yeah, I do think it is really important, right? It this is. is, this is an important thing that yep. um, our consistent Baptist friends do not want to rebaptize anyone. I do think that that right. is really important. Yeah, it's um, something, it's a misunderstanding a lot of time. Yeah. You just, now, other ones, like you could say the general Baptist or like any of them, any of like the non-denominational churches would be like, yeah, you can baptize whoever you want, whenever you want, whenever you want. Uh, yeah. Just get the bucket you don't, out. You don't feel good about, you don't feel good about your baptism. Right. Oh, come on down get another one yep. until um, you do feel good. What you came to the Jordan river in Israel might as well get baptized again. Yeah. It'll be extra special. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pastor, Pastor Michael, don't, 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 don't incriminate those who. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, if you were baptized in the Jordan river, that's fine. I'm just yeah, it's fine. You can do it there. Yeah. I, th- I think that, um, <laughs> I think it, it is, it behooves me to ask the, as we call it, the uh, Presbyterian own question on this issue uh, before we move on, which is, Landon, are all the members of your church regenerate? <laughs> uh, we hope so. <laughs> that is the answer I'll give because we never know. We don't know who is the elect and who's not, but we know that um, if you believe in Christ and you put your full faith in him, that you can have confidence in your election. Uh, we believe that God preserves his saints till the end. Uh, and so we really hope that all are believers. But if it's not, then we pray that it's only a season um, and not forever, that they'll fall into sin um so that's really our our answer for that is that we just we hope that they're regenerate and we pray that they are and we i think we can have confidence um that they are based on what their profession of faith is now and the fruits that we see hopeful hopeful baptist that would be a better association name i'm just yeah that would be that would be a better name i just think it's a better association name Pastor uh, Michael, yeah. mm-hmm. do you hope do you hope that all the members of your <laughs> church are regenerate? I do. I do hope that. Uh, I uh, I want to say man looks at the outward appearance, but Baptists look at the heart. <laughs> but <laughs> I, think, I, think I, that, I know I know that's not what you're saying. We're just having fun. Uh, I think that I do think again this would be, and this is another a longer conversation, and we may have someone else on to actually discuss the differences of of 1689 federalism. Um, and Presbyterian Reformed yeah. theology mm-hmm. to get into that more, because I do think this is where we get into issues of um, what is what are features of the new covenant? How much right. from the old covenant people of God, you know, can we learn what carries over into our yep. experiences, right? And so those are obviously deep theological things that we are not here to do. We are here to get to Woo! number five, the fifth <laughs> point. Yeah. So th- right, you're doing great. One. This is great. This is what we're going to agree on the most is confessionalism mm. so reformed baptist churches hold to a confession that unites us um so the the main one that all of them hold to just uh, out of unity is the 1689 second london baptist confession of faith uh it was written in 1689 uh <laughs> well published then it was written a little bit per, uh before then we even have some some Reformed Baptist churches who prefer like the 1677 version, or even there's one before that, the 1644. So even earlier than the Westminster. Uh, (laughs) um, But we created this confession, the 1689 
to be very similar to the Westminster in many ways because we wanted to show our other reformed brother and uh, that we're almost the same. <laughs> that we're so similar that you don't have to persecute us anymore. <laughs> please, please <And>. don't. <laughs> please stop. And. Um, but there's, uh, there's other ones out there. So those are the ones from uh, England. Uh, but there's ones like the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, which was Americanized. Um, there's the one also, which is kind of strange because it's a little bit weaker. Um, it's the New Hampshire Confession of Faith that some hold to, uh, which is actually the confession that the Baptist faith and message is based on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which, it's true. Uh, that so, confession, it, it's, I can hold to it. Sure. You want to you you say more, though, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here, here's the question. So we're, we're on the YRR podcast, right? I was, I grew up in a Baptistic tradition. I became YRR. How come I never heard of six, the 1689 along the way? You know, that was never, you know, I guess what I'm really asking is why didn't John Piper take the 1689 <laughs> as, as the, as his confession? I just think that it was, it is a strange thing. Cause let's be honest, we're here in America. The Baptists are in charge. Um, and, and, <laughs> and that's a, probably not, probably not the reformed Baptists or the, uh, especially not the particular Baptist, but <laughs> how come along the way this, and, and it could just be the, which we've talked about many times that this was not a confessional movement, but how come the, you know, outside of um, perhaps your homeboy, um, our hardcore rocker friend, Joe Thorne, how come there was, there is going to be no, there is, this was just not, even a feature, at least we knew Tim Keller was a Presbyterian. We may not have known what that meant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ligon Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Ligon Duncan told us how much he loved the PCA and RTS every now and again. We didn't really know what that meant, but at least that was, um, at least they're open about it. Yeah, exactly. It was represented. <laughs> if we, if you had asked me what a reformed Baptist was, I'd have been like, well, it's everybody. It's, it's, it's everyone. It's everyone, but Tim Keller, for some reason, I don't know why he's not one too. Yeah. It's 60, 67 Avenue Baptist church down the road. Right. Exactly. So where do you think, where do you think um, in the, in the Baptist tradition, or especially those who are right. Cause there's, I mean, there's a huge interest in Calvinistic theology in the Baptist, in the SBC, in the Baptist tradition right now, where, why was the confessionalism on the Baptist side lost along the way? Yeah, so really the confessionalism, it was lost a lot because of dispensationalism. I would hmm. say that, the dark period. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which kind of, um, and then the, they took fundamentalism really far hmm. uh, and made it, a lot of Southern Baptist churches especially became fundamentalist, which it's not the historic term that we think of with Machen at all. It's more of the, the term where we mean like, don't drink, don't dance, that kind of stuff, where it's all about works and less mm. about living this perfect Christian life. Uh, so there wasn't really a big emphasis in doctrine. Um, I, I remember hearing, was it Steve Lawson who said, um, I'm going to tell a joke. And it's, uh, he says, 
Presbyterianism and evangelism. And then uh, everyone laughed and all that. And they said, Baptists and scholarship. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So fair, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. So really, um, the Baptists, we really uh, didn't hold much to our historic roots that much uh, during this, this hundred year time period. So you didn't really see Baptist churches uh, becoming more confessional or even strong on doctrine, especially with the SBC becoming more and more accepting of a large body instead of being so narrow. Um, so they would, that's why they created the uh, Baptist faith, the message to be as inclusive or inclusive as possible instead of the, the normal confessions like the 69, which was written to be as exclusive <laughs> as possible. So that's really why we've, um, why there's been a difference in that. And you haven't really heard much doctrine being talked about in Baptist churches. Well, there are other ones that you've heard a lot. Um, so that's pretty much what happened. I think that's a, that's a really helpful answer. Yeah, that is, it's, that it's is really also, helpful. It's also very different than the Presbyterian one, which we've, we've covered along the way. But now that my uh, beer has been finished, it's time for us to go have Landon <laughs> answer us the question oh as to if... <laughs> Uh, what will be described in the next minute clip is, uh, or, or where it lacks, um, Reformed Baptist polity. So I'll play the clip, um, and I'll, I'll stop it, and we can talk about it a little, and then we will we'll close out this wonderful episode, this winsome episode, if you will. I've got my own pastor on staff, Pastor Leaf. My wife and I submit to him. I have accountability with him. I'm one guy who votes with the other guys. This is not a dictatorship. The senior pastor is Jesus. We're a functional, working, healthy, mutually submissive team. So I'm not saying I'm the spiritual leader. You do what I say. I think that's very abusive when one person alone is the spiritual leader. When it was first established, Mars Hill's governance model was what's often referred to as elder-led or elder-ruled. This meant that all of the ultimate responsibility for the church was vested in the elders or pastors. In this model, those words are usually used interchangeably. They determine the policy, budgets, doctrinal statements, ministry philosophy, you name it. Mars Hill wasn't tied to a denomination, of course, so there was no external authority beyond the church. It boiled down, as Mark said, to one elder, one vote. And that model is fairly common among reform-minded Baptistic churches. John MacArthur advocates for it, as does Wayne Grudem, Alexander Strock, and Gene Getz. And if you were church planning in the early 2000s, one of the most vocal advocates for this model was actually Mark Driscoll. So Landon, we have just heard Mark Driscoll describe, as I said in the episode, what the church government principle I learned from him. One elder, one vote. I'm not above anybody else. And I'm actually thankful that I learned that because I do think that accords with uh, one of the principles you described, mm -hmm. right? The plurality of elders. Yeah. So we're at least one for five. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell us where um, you hearing that. Tell us what, um, whether, again, I'm not interested of how popular it is. When you consider this in the, um, we'll describe this historic Reformed Baptist tradition, what is it, is it missing any pieces of it in your mind? Or um, obviously we know in the end it was, abused badly implemented so that goes without saying um but so we don't need to incriminate all reform if this is a 
good representation of Reformed Baptists. We're not trying to incriminate you all. Um, <laughs> but we do want to know if if our listeners, because this is largely what Acts 29 follows today. Mm-hmm. And this idea of elder-led has become a pretty popular thing to say, yeah, our church is biblical. We are elder-led. And so mm-hmm. we want to give you a chance uh, to help maybe someone in one of these churches or just someone who followed Mark Driscoll like me understand what they missed or what they um, uh, lacked in that regard. Yeah. So that's it, interesting to hear that because, well, his church didn't really look like it. <laughs> right. No, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so really he does have what he says would be an accurate, simplistic uh, mm-hmm. version of the plurality of elders. Um which right. is elders and have they, one rule, one rule. Um, they are equal say amongst each other. Um, you know, they keep each other accountable, but did they keep Mark Driscoll accountable? That's a question probably right. that right. he abused it later and became intimidating. Uh, right. so. the, the, the track of the episode is how you get from a guy saying that to a guy who can quote unquote fire elders at will. Right. And there's obviously a long story of how that went badly. Um, Cause but, that wouldn't happen. You can't, an elder, one elder cannot fire another elder. Right. <laughs> right. And, but can uh, the elder remove somebody's church membership just like that? Not, not just anybody, but like the entire church's church membership, which happens like have them well. retake membership courses because they changed the membership covenant uh no i no because no because the membership covenant would be voted on by the by the church members that are already church members yep so if it was changed at all there would be a process of voting amongst the members yeah and this is where actually this morning uh lana you weren't with us uh earlier last week i should say (laughs) you weren't with us last (laughs) week but we, uh, we did discuss how we do think that there's potential in these kinds of systems where there was this seeming desire to move to what appears to be a more biblical system, right, with, with a plurality of elders kind of leading the church, like they are the leaders of the church. Um, there was a move toward that, uh, but in, in doing so away from congregationalism, they're yes. actually uh, kind of opened the door for more potential abuse, we think, because there wasn't that added layer of accountability where the congregation is also involved at the same time. So you would have, you would have loved it. You, you would have loved, we were defending yeah. you this morning. I do yeah. think, that, I think that's a big thing they're missing is because they're trying to implement this elder led model, they're doing it without any understanding of what it means to be a congregational church. Yeah. So I was going to say the, um, it's really hard also to be a congregational church when you're so big. Sure. I mean, Mars Hill, especially like we, we also believe many pe- people go with Mark Dever's method of one assembly. So just one church service uh, that way, but also like uh, we majority, I think all of us in the, in the Reformed Baptist tradition would disagree that we should have multi-site mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we would say that's a separate church itself. And right. then your own church, is, when your own church has grown to be thousands of members, how can you keep your members accountable? How can your members keep you accountable if they don't even know you? Um, so that's why we keep a lot of our churches very small. Um, and when it gets to a certain limit that we feel is wise, uh, we're going to see a leader be rise, 
raise up in the church uh, and go plant another church, maybe down down the on the opposite side of town or on the next town over. It just we believe in the model, like kind of like Acts twenty nine, but uh, where we're a church that plants other churches. But I think it's a more biblical method because it includes a healthier version of congregationalism. Yeah, I think that. I think again, it's if there is no no ability to check an elder or the elders in the congregation is is totally hamstrung in that way which i think in one sense people accept and go that does seem biblical because i do see the elders having a lot of power in the new testament but there's a reason that and this is what we said in in our episode on this there's a reason that people looked at these, the information in the Bible about this and concluded things like hierarchy, concluded things like Episcopal, concluded things like Presbyterian and concluded things like congregational because they're, all of them see the need that it's not, it can't just be these, uh, these guys kind of on top, right? There has to be hierarchy built around them or a congregation that can act over them or church courts. And I guess, unless you're the Pope of Rome, uh, you got, you, you somehow graduated out of any level of accountability. Yeah. Um, then yeah. again, but that's again, why you stopped being a true church. And so I think that, I think that's an important thing. I also think when they say things like, as I just hearing it this last time, even with what you said, when they say things like the church elders get to ter- determine the doctrine, they get to determine the polity, right? That is, that is obviously different than we're going to be a church with a external confession, at least while, you know, no, no one um, can enforce that upon the church um, uh, from outside of it. If the church has adopted a confession that's historic, there's at least something more than, well, Mark Driscoll wrote the book doctrine. And I guess that's what we all believe now, right? You yep. know, that would yeah. be that, that is that, our confession right there. His yeah. Mark Driscoll right. doctrine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I realized as you described the importance of confessionalism, that right, that's not something that originated with the elders yeah. at your local church. Yeah. yeah. And I, w- I want to make mention is, um, you know, I think it was Carl Truman in his book, Creedal Imperative, uh, where he's advocating for confessionalism and creedalism within the church. Uh, he talks about how if it's really your pastor and no confession, then your ch- pastor can make what make whatever he says about the Bible be true in that church. Yep. I mean, there he could basically just say, yeah, I just read this as true, and he could preach it on the Sunday morning, and that's it. And then you have no reason to rebuke him because you're like, well, I don't see it anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's like having a mini pope within your own church. Yep. Right. Uh, where you can claim ex cathedra wherever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and so that's pretty much what he one of his arguments within his book, and I I can definitely see that within Mars Hill. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this as basically a kind of like mini episcopate, um, where you do have like a bishop, right? Where it's like that guy, he's like, yeah, sure, he's one of the elders, but yeah, I mean, we all know, like he's. He is uh, the uh, greatest among them, right? He, I mean, he has more sway, say, he has more power, he has more authority. And then there's some under him 
And then maybe, you know, it kind of goes lower. Maybe there's campus pastors or maybe there's, you know, it kind of just spreads <laughs> out a little bit. Lowly guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't let him preach, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna create a janitorial pastor yeah <laughs> right and and i think with that i think that's a really good place to leave it this side the one of the protections a an external uh confession gives to any kind of church of any kind of church government uh landon before we go is there any it doesn't have to be on uh polity um is there any uh book any any resource reformed Baptist theologian you just want to point people to that they might find particularly helpful or interesting on this or any subject? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, if you don't mind, because like there's a bunch of scholars I can say um, that have a lot of good thoughts, but especially the modern ones as well, but also the, the older ones. Um, you know, Charles Spurgeon is a great preacher. He's the Prince of Pe- uh, Preachers. If you want to know what great baptist preaching is like look towards him even the presbyterians love him uh he's loved all the all around my Uh, my first son's name is haddon so i can just good and he's i mean he's baptized but well well, he's one step closer (laughs) but but uh some modern theologians you could say um would be sam renahan or james renahan they've written a lot of work on there especially about like historic baptist polity um i know sam renahan's looked uh has uh, written a lot about um baptist covenant theology and the distinctives of that um you could look at the work of sam waldron um so those are some guys and also like just uh, for your listeners out there, like if you want to learn about like what's the, the importance of a confession of a creed, why it keeps churches strong, just look at Carl Truman's The Creedal Imperative. Uh, it's a very important book. I think all people should read it. It helps uh, beef up your confessionalism. So those are some stuff that you know I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Right, they're all. They're all great. And I think they're all people I can say I have honestly learned from myself. So I think those are great recommendations. Well, thanks, Landon, for joining us here on Winsome yes, Winter. That's great, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting us pick on you a bit. Of course. <laughs> Thank you, Landon, for coming on the show. We had a great time with you, Reformed Baptist brethren. We're here for you, too. And so is the Deacon of God. Go pick it up now. I've been watching since a year and a half ago. That's awesome. (laughs) That's fun. All right. Have a good night.